The Beat Church, bringing you messages of inspiration, hope, and freedom. Turn up the volume and get ready for the truth that will set you free. I get the awesome privilege this morning. I'm sharing uh, the message time. Uh, we are on a topic right now of personal wholeness. And really, we are dealing with a few different topics. Uh, those topics are, uh, oh, look at that. Do you know who that is over there? Who wants to guess? Silas. He's so cute. Look at him. Silas, stand up. Show him. Can you do that same face right now? Do it. Sit. Yeah, like that. Look at that. Hasn't changed at all, not even a bit. This looks fantastic. So the six areas of wholeness are mental, emotional, physical, financial, spiritual, and relational. And we're working through one of those each week. This week we're starting off. This is our first week actually diving into these, and we're dealing with the mental. And so whenever we do a message time, I try to find somebody who I say, hey, this person is living this. They're willing to dive into this. Because we don't want people just talking about stuff they're not willing to do or that they don't actually live out and have a passion for in real life. It's not just a stage deal, but they're really living it and walking it out. And so today we get to bring up the amazing Courtney Snalem to get us started. And I'm going to get her a... She needs one of these things. I don't even know what they're called because I'm not a musician. A pulpit. That's what we call a pulpit here. All right. There we go. Take it away. Awesome. Good morning. Okay, so we're going to start with the first slide. Go ahead and put that first slide up there for me with the beautiful picture. Yeah. Isn't that lovely, you guys? I absolutely love that. Okay, so that is actually a real picture of my foot. <laughs> so two days before Christmas, I was uh, flipping a table. And what that means, if you don't know, is not like how Jesus flipped the tables. But like I refinish tables and then sell them. Um, so I was flipping this table, and I had the chairs lined up in the hallway so that the poly could cure for a couple days before I gave it back to the client. And chairs don't belong in our hallway, so I wasn't used to that. And I was just casually walking past one of them and clipped my pinky toe as ever so slightly on that chair and broke my toe. And it was, uh, it was definitely not pleasant. Um, and, you know, people would ask me, hey, what happened to your foot? And I would I didn't want to say that I was just casually walking past a chair, right? That's not cool. So I was like, dude, I was jumping out of a burning building while saving a puppy. And then Carrie actually believed that, which was the best thing ever. Uh, so anyways, I also am a mom. And if you know anything about how moms operate, I looked at that broken toe and I was like, eh, I got work to do. So I just ignored it and push through the pain, and I'd vacuum, and do my dishes, and try and go on doing normal life, but as time went on, that got increasingly more difficult. My foot got more painful. I found it harder to do the things that I needed to do. Now, my husband has had this injury before, this exact same injury, doing the same thing in the same place, and so he was watching me just try and superwoman my way through this, and he was going, uh-uh, nope constantly telling me, you need to get off of it, you need to put your feet up, you need to put ice on it, and I'm like, well, then who is going to do all the things if I'm doing that? So, of course, I ignored him, you know, like a good wife. 
And he was like, you need a boot. You need to be in crutches. You need a boot. You need a boot. And I was like, I don't need a boot. I don't need a boot. So we actually have uh, Jason and Lori Hicks are here, and they're, they're laughing because they know where I'm about to go. So we went to go visit them the week after Christmas up at their house in Missouri, and um, I brought some boots with me, and I, it, I couldn't put it on like it hurt too bad. And so we were driving all over Jefferson City, literally like every single medical pharmacy store that exists in that city, and could not find a boot anywhere. So I wasn't able to wear one, and we weren't able to do as much of the fun touristy stuff. But that was so important to my husband, and he was the one that was really driving that. He's like, no, if we're going to go do touristy things, you have to be in a walking boot, period. Like, that's it. And then it, it didn't happen. So I tell this story to say, how weird would it be? Like, just think for a minute. Imagine if when I noticed that my foot wasn't getting better, And I started to complain to my husband that, hey, I'm actually not able to do the things that I need to be doing because of my injury and because of this pain that I'm in. What would have happened if he would have looked at that and been like, you know what I think? I think you're just not in your word enough. Uh, That would be weird, right? Like, we'd be like, that's not how you necessarily respond to a medical condition, right? Or maybe what if he said, like, You know, when I see that injury, I'm thinking that maybe you're suffering because you've got some secret sin somewhere. Like in your, like, nobody would say that, right? That wouldn't happen. But historically, that is how Western Christianity has approached mental health. And yes, absolutely, leaning into Jesus when I'm in pain or frustrated that I can't get done the things that I need to be getting done or really asking the Holy Spirit for comfort and peace when I am having complete anxiety because I can't work now and I'm losing money and I have bills to pay. Yes, absolutely. I need to be leaning into Jesus for all of those things in that time. So that's not untrue, but also I needed a walking boot. (laughs) Like that's so practical, right? So That is how I started approaching mental health as well. Mental health is health because your brain is actually a part of your physical body. And to some people, that is actually kind of a revolutionary concept. It's also the part of the body that doctors and scientists know the least amount about. It's such a mystery. People dedicate their whole entire careers to learning and studying this mysterious thing, and they know that they've only scratched the surface of all the information that is available to them about the human brain. Here's just a little tiny snippet of what we do know. So when we experience trauma, our brains shut down the non-essential system and they activate the sympathetic nervous system, releasing stress hormones that activate your flight or fight. How many of you guys learned about fight or flight in school? Yeah? Okay, awesome. Those exist to help us survive an experience. And the more that psychiatrists are learning about this nervous system and how this all works and expanding their definitions of trauma, they're now expanding that definition of the stress response to include flight, fight, freeze, and appease. Those last two are usually the kind of stress responses that you see in children when they're growing up and they suffer trauma and their brains are developing. They get into the freeze and appease modes. So these experiences establish something called neural pathways. 
So neural pathways are uh, the connecting neurons that send signals from one part of your brain to another. So essentially, that is your brain's communication system or like a roadway map that gets designed and cuts new roads to get here and there within your thought processes. Uh, the connectors that are inside of these neural pathways that kind of build them together, so like the intersection of all of these, are called dendrites. And these dendrites increase in number with the frequency that the behavior is being done and that further solidifies the pathways and then reinforces those behaviors. So these reinforced pathways, they don't just tell us what to think. Like that would be so easy if that's all they told us is what to think because then someone could come along and just be like, well, don't think that, think this instead. And we'd be like, yes, I am cured. How many of you guys are parents that would just love it if you could tell your teenage kids what to think? <laughs> that would just make everything so much easier. And then they would actually just like, oh, yeah, you're totally right. You're so wise. And then change their behaviors and make sense, right? But that's not how it works, unfortunately. These neural pathways tell us how to think and behave based on the patterns that are given to them by our experiences. And these pathways, they aren't just created by our own choices. In fact, most of the time, they're created by the choices of other people that are done to us. So if you had neglectful or abusive parents, if you live through extreme poverty where every day feels like a fight to survive, a fight to get food, a fight to keep your lights on, a fight to pay your rent, the loss of a loved one, or having to earn love through performance. All of these things create neural pathways that train our brains how to think, how to respond, and how to behave. And I know that sounds really kind of dark and down, but there's really good news. God made our brains malleable. Raise your hand if you know what that word means, malleable. Yeah, that means you can move it and change it. It's, it's bendy. It's not permanent. And even well into adulthood, our brains can actually create new neural pathways. So when you hear people say that old saying that you can't teach an old dog new tricks, you can tell them, actually, that is not true, and science says otherwise. The word for this, does anybody know what the word for this is, like the science-y word? Is it already up there? No, it's not up there. Okay, what's the word for this? Anybody know? Yeah, neuroplasticity. That is actually the scientific word for this. Yeah. All right, so we're going to watch a video. It's like two minutes. It's really quick. It's a really good video that kind of paints a picture of what neuroplasticity is and how it works. All right, so go ahead and play that video. Not so long ago, many scientists believed that the brain did not change after childhood, that it was hardwired and fixed by the time we became adults. But recent advances in only the last decade now tell us that this is simply not true. The brain can and does change throughout our lives. It is adaptable, like plastic. Hence neuroscientists call this neuroplasticity. How does neuroplasticity work? If you think of your brain as a dynamic, connected power grid, there are billions of pathways or roads lighting up every time you think, feel, or do something. Some of these roads are well-traveled, 
These are our habits, our established ways of thinking, feeling and doing. Every time we think in a certain way, practice a particular task or feel a specific emotion, we strengthen this road. It becomes easier for our brains to travel this pathway. Say we think about something differently, learn a new task or choose a different emotion. We start carving out a new road. If we keep traveling that road, our brains begin to use this pathway more and this new way of thinking, feeling or doing becomes second nature. The old pathway gets used less and less and weakens. This process of rewiring your brain by forming new connections and weakening old ones is neuroplasticity in action. The good news is that we all have the ability to learn and change by rewiring our brains. If you have ever changed a bad habit or thought about something differently, you have carved a new pathway in your brain and experienced neuroplasticity firsthand. With repeated and directed attention towards your desired change, you can rewire your brain. All right, I love that absolutely simple explanation of how that all works. So like seeking a walking boot for my brain, I started looking into ways to improve my mental health. So one of the things that I do is I treat my ADHD with medication. And I do this because not only do I enjoy starting to unload the dishwasher, but I also enjoy finishing unloading the dishwasher without taking two hours in between to just pace around my house, living inside of my imagination. It's pretty great. Also good, returning text messages. I've gotten about 30% better at doing that. Yeah, my husband's like, yeah, it's pretty great. I also decided to take advantage of my brain's neuroplasticity by starting therapy. And it's been really, really good, you guys. Uh, it's been a partnership with the Holy Spirit and a person who studies the science of the brain, working through things, working through trauma, working through abuse, overcoming those things. It's been, it's been really amazing. During one of our sessions, she described to me how all of that worked. And I remember actually just breaking down and crying because I was so overcome with this incredible sense of hope that the way that my thoughts worked because of the trauma that I've experienced did not have to be the way that my thoughts had to stay. And that there exists a healthy and whole way to actually think and to be. And I knew, because I've been in church a long time, so I've always known that with Christ that that was possible. I just didn't know the practical application steps of how to get there. So I've had mental health issues like anger, which I've shared with you guys before, my story about anger, that have been just miraculously healed by spending time with Jesus. Like I had the anger, I asked God to help me with it, and then one day I woke up and literally just did not have the anger anymore. I can't explain it. That was a miraculous spiritual event that happened. And I have mental health issues from trauma and abuse that are currently being overcome in therapy. And I have mental functioning issues and deficiencies that are being treated with medication. None of those things are any less than the other because each one of those things are being worked out 
and propelling me towards doing and being all of the things that God has called me to do, to actually live healthy and happy, to step out in the giftings and the calling that he has for my life, to walk in my purpose and fulfill those things and to help and to love other people. And whichever means of getting there that there is, which for me is like all over the place, are all pointing me towards God's will for my life and God's plan for my life. And that's what he wants for all of you guys too, to work towards his purpose and his calling for your life. And if that means overcoming mental health objectives, then that's okay. And this is a safe place to talk about those things. This is a safe place to work those things out and to do those things. All right, so I'm going to hand this over to Andy, and he is going to finish up. Thank you, guys. Awesome. And the next time she's in therapy, she'll talk about how I threw a giant grasshopper on her in the middle of a church service. I thought I was at a good church. Uh, okay, so I'm about to dive into some of the biblical application of this, but that's all I want to do even before I go there. Okay, take a breath. Okay. We're going to deal with some real stuff over these next six weeks, okay? The reality is that God gifts people differently and with different abilities. Stash, God gave a gift of woodwork. I asked him, how did you do that? Like, where did you learn woodworking from? He's like, I didn't. I'm like, well, how do you do it? He goes, I don't know. He's like, I just pray, and God just says, do it like this, and I just do stuff. Like, he's built sheds and barns. I mean, all kinds of stuff that he does, woodworking stuff. Never had any training. It's just as a gift that God gave him. Okay, and we can all have a gift and ability that God gives us. And one of those gifts and abilities that God gives is God gives people a gift and an ability to understand the brain, understand psychology, understand science, and those types of things. And so as they apply in faith and they're following God and they're reading the word and they're growing, there's also an aspect where God points them back to science. In Romans, it says that the invisible attributes of God are made known by the things that he's made. Okay, so God makes things, and we're able to learn about him through the study of those actual things, including our brain. And when you study the brain, you realize, oh, my gosh, God is complex, and he's detailed, and he has purpose and intention because the brain couldn't be made any other way. And so we look at that. So we're diving into this area, and don't run from that. If you have had mental health struggles and issues, you're like, man, I'm praying. I'm in the Word. I come to church. I do things, and, but I struggle in this area. Okay, don't give up on yourself, okay, and don't let other people give up on you, and don't feel ashamed or bad if you need to go see a therapist or go get help with somebody, and say, hey, maybe I should look into this. You can come to me. You can come to Courtney. Uh, April is on staff now as one of our women's pastoral care people. We can help you get connected to somebody that is faith-based, that loves God, that's in the word, and can also point you towards some areas on how to work with your mental health and things like that, because what we want is to see wholeness. We don't want to see fakeness. Coming to church, and I can do really good here, but as soon as I get in the car, I'm a disaster. That's not what we're after. We're after wholeness, so you can live in the wholeness and peace of God. So let's dive into some biblical application on this. And uh, this is coming out of Philippians 4, uh, 6 through 8. It says, do not be anxious for anything, but in everything with prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving, make your requests known to God, and the peace of God that surpasses understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So what it's telling you is that when you're struggling, pray about it. Pour it all out to God, then give thanks in faith, saying, God, thank you for helping me. Thank you. I know that you're going to guide me through this. Then his peace will guard our heart and mind. You think, okay, I've done that. Now what? Well, now this, believe it or not, 
this path of neuroplasticity is already in the Bible. It's already directed there because once you've done that, you've committed to the Lord, you've given him thanks, you're trying to make the change, you're saying, okay, God, help me. He gives you peace. There's still another verse. It's verse 8. Okay, and here's what verse 8 says. Verse 8 talks about these different things, and I'm going to run through them right now. But it says, finally, think on these things. So it says, okay, take your mind and think on these topics. And I'm going to go through each word that's in this verse. You can pull it up on your phone or something if you want to actually read the verse. I'm just going to go through the words in them and just kind of do the verse as we go. But it says, think on these things. Now, I'm going to explain what think means. Think actually means to reckon, to consider, to count, to charge with, reason, decide, conclude, It's a process. It's like this actually like thinking it through, mulling it over, rotating it, you know, like a a rock in a rock tumbler. You're rolling this thing around. You're thinking on it. You're coming to a conclusion properly to compute, take into account, get to the bottom line with reason or logic. I mean, that takes a little bit of effort, right? It's not like, okay, no, I got it. You know, yeah, we we should, you know, think happy thoughts. Great. Oh, yay, happy no, it's thinking and mulling over and really meditating on and, and holding that in your mind. Okay, that's what we're talking about. It says, finally, brothers, think on these things. Back when I was an addict and I was, uh, used to hide in my closets and do all those things, not let my wife answer the phone. Can you imagine her not being able to answer a phone? My goodness. No, no chance. So, so much energy. I'm trying to bottle it all up inside of one house. Don't go outside. Don't let people over. Don't answer the phone. Help me. That was her life. But in that time, when I gave my life to the Lord, I couldn't figure out how to actually change. I wanted to serve God. I loved God. But I couldn't figure, how do I change? How do I actually live differently? Like, how do I do it different? And so one day I was reading this verse, and I got to Philippians 4, 8, and it talked about finally think on these things. And just so the Lord was just speaking to me, he said, stop trying to do everything right and just start trying to think right. Because where your mind is at, that, your actions are going to follow that. So I actually got a tattoo. It's my only tattoo. And it's, uh, look at that big bicep and gun that it's on. My gosh. Oh, my. When I got it, I imagined I was going to be big and bulky. And oh, I was going to be like Hyro back here, like ready to go. Just boom, flexing. And no, it's just a little, little tattoo on a little arm right now. But I'm training for Spartan Race. It could get bigger. It could get bigger. Um, but the verse, the tattoo it has in the band, it's a key, and it says, think life, and it has Philippians 4.8. Because I wanted every time I got up in the morning and looked in the mirror to remember, just try to think on these things that God told me to think about. And so I got the tattoo. I get up. I look in the mirror. I'm like, man, I'm a terrible guy. I'm not a good husband. I'm, I'm afraid of people. I'm still an addict. I don't know how to do anything right. I get up. I look in the mirror. I'm getting dressed, and I see the tattoo, and I'm like, okay, take a breath. Just try to think on some of these things. And I didn't know about neuroplasticity. I didn't know the science behind it. It actually starts to rewire our brain to live and think differently. I'm just following God's word. But oftentimes God's word is so far ahead of science and and human study. And it's always playing catch up to what God already revealed in his word. So here's the things that it says to think about. Number one, it says think on whatever is true. This is Philippians 4, 8. Whatever is true. Well, what does true mean? Unconcealed. It's true in fact. Worthy of credit. Truthful. It stresses undeniable reality. When something is fully tested, it will ultimately be shown to be a fact, to be authentic. Okay, so what true is, is it's not your opinion, it's not your thought, it's not what you imagined, it's not what you feared, it is what's true. So when I had a high anxiety, guess what my mind was thinking on all the time? A whole lot of things that weren't necessarily true, 
Because if you've ever had anxieties or fears, a lot of times what you're worried about actually never happens, right? It never actually takes place. But then the next fear comes, the next worry comes, the next fear comes. And so you just keep rolling through those things. Or anger. Sometimes we're so angry at somebody because they're the worst person in the world. I can't believe them. They shouldn't even be around. Was that true? Was that really true that that person is the worst person ever in the history of the planet of Earth and they're so much worse than you in your worst state, in your worst moment? Probably not. You know, Jesus said, don't try to take the speck out of someone else's eye when you have a plank in your own eye, right? In other words, they're not as bad as you think. You got your own problems to deal with. Okay, so what's true? So to set your mind on what's true is to set your mind on what, what is true in the real sense. This is what God is saying is true. True about that person. Well, what's true about them? Well, they may be being rude to me or they may have offended me, but you know what? Christ died for them. He loves them. He cares for them. He has mercy for them. He has grace for them. He wants me to forgive them. That's his love towards them. That's what's true. They have value and they're worth something. So when I think of people, I'm thinking that way. Well, what's true about me? The exact same thing. Oh, I'm worthless. I can't measure up. I can't do this. I can't do that. Well, that's not true. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It says that in Philippians 4.13. I'm a child of God. I'm a joiner with Christ. I mean, you get into the word, and it has all these things that it says about me, and, and that's what's true. And so it's to set my mind on truth, to know this is what is reality. And as I do that and begin to think about that, what happens is, just like we saw in this scientifically, is that the brain eventually, if you continue to direct yourself back there, right, eventually your mind starts to change its path, and it actually literally starts to rewire itself. The pathways, the neural pathways in your brain start to change. And pretty soon you find it more natural to think of yourself that way. It used to take me 30 minutes to walk into a place where there was people. I had to get there. I had to drive around the block four times. I had to sit in the parking lot. I had to convince myself and think about when I go in there, it's going to be okay. People will not hate me. I'm not going to make a fool of myself. Like, it's going to be all right. I'm gonna... I'd have to sit and just think on this stuff. And then I'd come in. And now I get up and I come in and I don't even think that. My brain literally is rewired. It doesn't think that way. God had already shown me that in my heart, but that didn't change the fact that I kept thinking that way. I had to work to get my brain to think differently. And so that's what it's talking about. So what's true? What's true about you? What's true about others? What's true about the world? What's true about God? Relationships. There's lots of things you could think on, but make sure what you're thinking on is true. If you have a thought that's negative or a thought that's pushing you away from people, away from God, away from love, away from caring for others, stop yourself and say, hold on a minute. Is this thought really true? And pause. And if you're too emotional to do that, take it to somebody else and say, hey, I'm having this thought. Somebody you trust, somebody that loves God, and say, is this true? Am I really the worst person ever and I shouldn't even be alive? And if they say yes, find a new friend. Okay, just find a new friend. Or is it true that I'm probably going to go broke and wind up on the street? There's no hope for me financially? Well, go to no, actually, there's a pathway out. Yeah, you're in a little bit of struggle financially, but there's ways out. We can help you. Let's get a budget together. Bring it out in the open. A lot of times when you bring it out in the open, you find out, well, it wasn't true, and somebody can help direct you. But think on what's true. The second thing it says in verse 8, it says, think on what's honorable. What is honorable? It means that it's venerable, honorable, grave, serious, dignified, like Silas up here. Look how dignified he looks. So serious and dignified. Weighty. Right? It's got some umph to it, right? It's not TikTok, two seconds, right? 
It's not Facebook, just slipping through somebody's best moment. It's deeper. It's heavy. It's like, this is real. Okay, I'm going to think on this. Respected because it's viewed as majestic. Okay, so honorable. What's honorable? What's honorable about God? There's so many attributes of God you can think about. His loving kindness, his faithfulness, his forgiveness, his, his provision for our lives. The joy of the Lord is my strength. God is actually joyful. Jesus was anointed with gladness more than, his, more than his companions. You can think about the joy of the Lord. There's so many honorable, majestic, like, wow, look at how creative God is. He made this tree. He made this. He made, he's amazing. And to really set your mind on those things and to think about them and train your mind to think on these things that are good. Well, what about other people? I could bring everybody up on stage one at a time, and I could ask everybody, hey, what's the worst thing about them? Who's my volunteer? Let's try this. Who's, what's the worst thing about them? And do you know what? The truth is we could all find something about everybody. I could stand here. We could spend the next hour finding lots of things about me that aren't great. People are like, well, you know, this side, this is a problem with them. That's, that's true of all of us. But what's honorable? So that's a choice. It's a choice to think about what's honorable about this person. Well, they got that problem. Well, they do, but is there something honorable? Is there anything honorable about them? I'm going to think on that. I'm going to believe on that. I'm going to think, okay, well, what about people that are not just your neighbors or your friends, but what about people that are close to you? Sometimes that's the hardest, right? In your own family, you're so close all the time, and you don't think about the good things they do, but to step back and go, what's honorable about them? What do they do that makes my life better? I don't take for granted. And then what about yourself? Sit down and say, well, what is honorable about me? What's majestic? What's wonderful? What's amazing about me, the person that God made? And to really think about that and set your mind on that. Now, we've only hit a couple of these topics that are in this verse. It's so long. Worst tattoo to get because it's so hard to memorize the list. Like, hey, what's the verse say? This is a long list. Let's look it up together. But imagine if you just spent time focusing on what's true and what's noble and honorable. You just set time thinking about that. And all the time right now that perhaps you spend on things that are negative or stressful or judgmental or all those things, you replaced it just with these couple of categories. And you did that for 30 days. How much different do you think your emotions and other parts of your life would be? It would begin to change. Everything would begin to get better. Think on what's right. Now, the key here is right is not by your definition. Right is by God's definition. What is right? Well, you got to know God's word. You got to follow him to know what's right. Because we all have ways that we think are right. Oh, I'm going to do this or do that. I think that's the right way. But it's what is right in God's eyes. What is he believe is right? And if you can begin to focus on that, this is what God would have me do. This is what God would want me to do. This is how the right way to live, the right choice to make in this relationship, the right choice to make with this uh, outing that I'm going on that's taking me into a place where maybe I'm going to get tempted into some type of, a, of, you know, my past addictions or something like that, or the right things to do in forgiveness. Like, what does God think I should do in this scenario? And that's the type of thing that we need to actually set our mind on and begin to think about. How many of you have ever spent significant time in a day thinking about what's wrong? Okay, well, that's also wiring your brain in a direction that makes it lean that way. Like, I lean this way. Like, I, this, is how I, this is how I go. My, my Spartan training, I should use a different word because that's very, like, sounds exaggerated. That's a Spartan race, but my mini Spartan, 
my pre-Spartan training that I'm doing to go on this thing. When I'm running around this lake, you see markers and you're going to run to them. And I run to them and then I'll think, okay, stop. I'm not there yet, right? I'm stop. I'm tired. Stop. And I don't let myself do that because if I do that, I'm going to train my brain to stop before I get where I'm supposed to go. And then when I get out there with this Spartan race, I'm going to stop. And I'm going to want to quit the whole way through. And I'm going to have Matt and other people yelling at me, you can't stop. And it's going to be this miserable experience. So I got to work the next month on training my brain to not want to stop. And so I can't give in to stopping because it's going to train my brain to the negative. Because it's going to go, it trains both ways. Okay, so put it on what's right so that you're training it in that direction. Whatever is pure, good things. Pure, they're talking about purity not being mixed. Mixed with condemnation, guilt, sin, all these things. But what's pure? What's, what's the best? What is God's way in this and the best for my life, the best for my person? You're thinking on these types of things. A lot of mental and emotional disorders come from shame. They come from guilt. That's where they kind of originate. That's like a root that comes out. Okay. Well, if you're thinking on what's pure and what's right, guess what? It's, it's like a vaccine that actually works. That's like taking out. And it's like it's killing all the shame and the guilt out because you're not giving it a place to grow in your mind. Think on what's lovely. It's also in verse 8. Because whatever is lovely, well, what's lovely? Pleasing, agreeable, acceptable, grateful, worthy of personal affection. Hence, now check this out, dearly prized, worth the effort to have and embrace. Is what you're thinking about worth the effort to have and to embrace? Is it worth the struggle? Because when you think on negative things or you think on things that are, are selfish or, or self-serving and you think on anger, bitterness, you think on these different things, guess what? You're, you're, you're going through a struggle emotionally, mentally, physically. You create, it's a struggle. It doesn't feel good to, to think on those things, does it? And yet you're going through it, and you're going through the struggle, and eventually you're obtaining that. Is that worth the struggle? All that work for more misery? But if you set your mind on something that is worth obtaining, sometimes we don't do that because we're afraid we can never attain it. It'll never actually happen. I don't want to think on having a good marriage because, honestly, it's probably never happened. My marriage will always just be miserable or bad or this or that. So I don't even think on it. But that's the thing worth obtaining in your marriage is all that God wanted it to be. So I'm thinking on it. I don't know how to get there. I don't know if it's possible. There's forgiveness to happen. There's things to work out. There's stuff going on. But I don't know how to get all the way there. But I'm going to think on that and believe on that and set my eye on that. Okay, which then begins to align my brain up with that concept and that idea and helps me to make the decisions and the choices that will lead me that direction. You can apply that to any area of your life. Whatever is admirable. Your mind is yours. Keep good company there. Right? Think on something that's admirable, worth being around. I admire that. You know, I admire John Clay. John Clay's taking his grandparents in. He's taking people that are struggling. They're trying to uh, put their lives back together. John Clay and Sabrina open their home, have people stay with them, multiple people staying with them, getting back on their feet. Plus, he took in his grandma and his grandpa, okay? His grandpa went to see Jesus last night, and here he is. Comes in. He's going to come into the house of the Lord. He's going to serve the Lord. He's going to worship. His wife comes up and does worship. And they were up late last night 
seeing his grandpa to heaven. But he took him in, he loved him, he cared for him, he respected him at his own sacrifice of his own money, of his own time, of his own space. Saw him to heaven and then got up and they said, you know, we're going in here to worship the Lord. That's admirable. I admire that. I want to be like that. So I think on those things rather than thinking on someone or something else that's like, well, they have cool stuff, but do I really want to be like them? No, not really. Boy, look, they got all these skills or abilities and they're famous or they have this or that, but okay, what's their real life like? Are they admirable? Is that an admirable way to live behind the scenes of who they are? And so I got to look at that, and that's what I want to think on. That's what I want to put in my mind. Whatever's excellent, things that enrich your life, praise, whatever is worthy of praise. Now, the key with worthy of praise is that it's not flattery, it's reality. It's commendation, praise, approval. It's accurate acknowledgement, commendation, and recommendation. It's accurate. It's not fake. It's like, wow, you know, you look great. And it's, well, actually, they look really terrible. Wow, you're so strong. They're actually just really weak. Or wow, you're really smart. And they just failed four tests. It's not fake. It's real. And so when we think on things like this that are worthy of praise, what about God is worthy of praise? These things are true. Well, I say, you know what? God is my provider. That's not, I'm not just saying that. I've seen it over and over again in my life that he provides all of my needs. I don't have to worry. I don't have to be concerned. I have to work. I have to do my job. But then God provides. He takes care of me. He's faithful. The Bible says even when we are unfaithful, he remains faithful because he can't deny himself. See, I act faithfully at times. He literally is faithful. He can't deny himself. Well, I've had a struggle. I've fallen down. It's hard for me to get up. I've done this. I don't know if God's still going to stick around. I don't know if God's still going to be with me. I don't know if he's going to see me to the finish line. You know what? He can't even deny himself. You might be messing up, but God is still walking beside you, getting you to where you're supposed to go. Because even though you might be denying him, even though you might be doing, he cannot deny who he is, and at his core, he's faithful. It's what he's made of. And so he's faithful to you to see you through the struggle, to see you through the difficulty, the challenges. Romans 12, 1 through 2. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers, on account of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Not our spirit, our bodies. That's why we're doing this personal wholeness. Our body is part of what God is interested in. Our whole body, our brain, our health, the whole thing. He's not just interested in our spirit. Being a follower of Christ is not just a spiritual endeavor. It's a whole endeavor. It's our wholeness has to do with our physical body, our brain, our emotions, our relationships, our work, our provision. It's it's a completeness. Holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? By the renewing of your mind. It doesn't say be transformed by believing in Jesus. That's part. That's the absolute requirement part. We're born. He takes out a heart of stone, and he gives us a heart of flesh. Second Corinthians 5, 17, everyone in Christ is made new. So there is a spiritual reality that happens where we are made new in Christ and transformed, and it's 100%. It takes us to heaven. It washes away our sins. We're a new person. I'm not stuck to my past. 
So then what's it talking about? Because that seems contradictory. Why is he saying be transformed by the renewing of my mind if I'm already transformed through belief in Christ and through his grace and through his death and resurrection? Because it's talking about what happens spiritually and then it's talking about the discipleship process to really change. When I gave my life to Jesus, I wanted to be a good husband. I wanted to be a good dad. I wanted to not fall into addiction. I didn't want to have anxiety anymore. I wanted to be able to serve and love and care. I wanted all those things. I didn't know how to do it. But my heart had changed before I didn't even want it. But when Christ came in, he changed my heart. Now I had the desire, but I still didn't have the, I didn't have the know-how. How do I functionally do it? And a guy took me under his wing and taught me how to think different, walk different, live different, respond different to circumstances. That's what it's talking about. Your, your actual living experience being transformed by renewing your mind. Changing the mind so you can live differently. Sometimes people are like, man, I don't even know if I'm saved. Like, I thought I was saved, but I still have these bad thoughts. That's because there's a difference between salvation and being transformed by the renewing and the changing of your mind. You, have an, you, you are now right with Christ. When he looks at you, he doesn't say, oh, do you know what? I died for you. You're new. Uh, your brain's still screwed up. Come back when you get it figured out. He still loves you. He still looks at you as whole and complete through Christ, and yet there's still work to do to get the mind to catch up to the reality that God's doing on the inside of your heart. And that's what it's talking about. And that's why we say this is, a, this is not a showroom, it's a garage, because there's a picture of, do you know what, this is an old rusted out car, and God bought it, and he's like, that's mine, I love it, and I know what this car's gonna be. And yet somebody else comes along and says, do you know what, the bumper's rusted, that's a piece of junk. And he's like, no, this car is gonna be in a show, this is amazing. Well, we're in the process of being refinished, being transformed, being renewed, being changed. Every day, God's doing stuff. And then when I think it looks great, like, man, I'm looking pretty good. God's like, well, we got to take this back. We got to take off the back trunk thing and look in there. And you open it up and, oh, it's all rotted out. And he's like, well, you, we got to work on this area. Like, oh, I thought I was done. He's like, no, we're doing a complete restoration. We're going through the nuts, the bolts, the wheel. I mean, we're, we're doing it all back to what it's supposed to be. That's a process. If you're in that process, it's okay. It doesn't mean you're a failure. It doesn't mean you're not a good Christian. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. It doesn't mean, even mean that you don't love God. It just means you're in a process of change. And so this is what it's talking about. It's being transformed by the renewing of our mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Transformed means to be transformed, transfigure. Now check this out. This is what I thought was so cool. The actual meaning of this word in the Greek means transformed after being with. So literally, it's like a relational change. So my mind is being transformed and renewed as I'm with what? As I'm with God, I'm with his word, I'm in prayer, I'm in relationship. My, it's literally that interaction is beginning to change and transform me. Because I'm with him. And guess what? I'm with believers. The Bible says iron sharpens iron, right? Two are better than one. It's something that happens together and it happens with God. That there's a transformation happening rather than doing it alone. Renewing. Renewing is a renewal or a change of heart. Completing the actual word means 
completing a process which intensifies and makes fresh and new. You ever going through change and it feels like, okay, I thought I was doing pretty good, doing pretty good, and then all of a sudden you get like a little bit deep and you're like, whoa, this is getting more intense, not, not better. I thought I was dealing with this bitterness I had or this offense I had or this wound I had, and now I'm starting to actually deal with it. And I thought, oh, yeah, okay, it's all good. I forgave. And now you're starting to actually really deal with it. And you're like, whoa, I'm, all this anger is buried. Well, it's intensifying because you're actually completing the process. You're getting through it. Okay, so it's okay. Sometimes we start to press into something for God to change it, and then emotions and things come up. And we say, oh, I just better run away. Don't run away. Just let God work you through it. When I was coming out of addiction, man, the addiction would get stronger not weaker when I was trying to get away from it. It's like stretching out a rubber band. Pull it, pull it, pull it, pull it, pull it. And guess what? The tension gets stronger. And it's at its peak when? Right before it breaks. That's okay. You're pressing it in so that you can get through. And the last word of that verse is be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's back again to your understanding, your reason. God-given capacity of each person to think and reason the capacity to exercise reflective thinking. To really use your mind and say, Lord, why am I dealing with this situation? Why am I going through this? Why do I feel this way? Why do I think this way? What's going on? How do you help me get through this? Talking to somebody else that can help you to work through it. Not just always dismissing it and saying, well, I'll just dismiss it. Thank you, Jesus, for making it better. Well, yes, he's giving you the power and the ability. It's he, the Bible says, that works in us both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. God is working in you But part of the process sometimes that he wants to take us through is actually really sitting down and dealing with what's going on up here. And being vulnerable and open, allowing somebody to talk to us about it. And to deal with it for for the brain issue that it can be. Does that make sense? I know this is this is a lot for Sunday morning, but we want to dive in because what we're after is not just living a great 45 minutes on Sunday or hour and a half on Sunday but actually being able to live in the wholeness and peace of God. And sometimes we have to put a little bit of work and go through some stuff to get there. And if you have somebody in your life, in your family, uh, you know, that you know, a good friend or somebody that you're close to and they're having struggles, you know, if you give them a safe place to open up and talk, you might actually save their life or you might just completely change their life. Say, hey, I can talk about this. It's okay. If they're going through some type of a mental struggle or mental issue. God wants us to be whole and complete. He cares about your thoughts. He cares about your entire person. Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you for uh, just your word, God, teaching us, Lord, that we can literally work to transform, Lord, many things about our life by focusing on the good things that you've given us to think about. Lord, the good things you've given us, Lord, to set our mind on. Lord, the mindset on the flesh is death. The mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Lord, I pray that each person that's here, Lord, would receive, Lord, just strength, Lord, to set their mind on what's right, Lord, to create new habits of thinking, Lord, new ways of going about, Lord, wiring their own brains. God, to think and to meditate on things of the Spirit. That, Lord, they could walk in the peace and the joy and the fulfillment that you have for them. Lord, if there's anybody here having deep struggles in this area, I pray they would be ashamed of that. But, Lord, they would open up their heart and become vulnerable. I thank you for Courtney's vulnerability and sharing, Lord, and being very real. I pray that they would feel comfortable to open up and to be able, Father, to just get things out in the light, deal with it, and find healing and find health. In Jesus' name, amen. 
the next step and visit www.thebeatchurch.com and get connected with a community committed to applying these truths in their everyday lives. You can also give now to support our messages by visiting www.thebeatchurch.com give.